0: Welcome to another edition of Shared Chats. I'm Peter White and today we're talking the agricultural sector with David Sackett, who is the CEO of Growth Farms. Growth Farms has just posted their first audited 10-year results, over a 9% return for the last 10 years, a particularly attractive return in times of ultra-low interest rates. With me today is CEO of Growth Farms, David Sackett. David, welcome and uh, congratulations on your 10-year results.
1: It's been a lot of hard work in those numbers.
0: Can you tell me quickly, for people who are new to growth farms, just give me a thumbnail view of the business?
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, what we do is, is buy and manage investments into Australian agriculture. And we do that for both domestic investors and overseas investors. So currently we're managing a bit over $500 million. And that's across livestock, it's across cropping, across irrigation, across dry land. So quite a diverse portfolio of farms. And and we have some of that in funds for the smaller investors, and some of it is direct for larger investors. And over time, we've been able to generate that
0: slightly over 9% return since 2008. So people looking for exposure to the farm sector can pool their money with other investors? Or they can actually have a managed, a singular or a singular account Correct. with you. You yep. have an, an SMA, I guess. Yep,
1: an SMA. You need a bit more. You need probably five, eight million dollars to get enough scale because you don't want to in, have a really small farm because it just constrains performance. Alternatively, if you only got a small amount to invest, you can invest into a fund, a commingled pool of capital, which we then deploy on behalf of the investors. Return the return the income to investors, and when we sell, return the capital as well.
0: Well, you've got ten. I mean, you've been going for longer than uh, ten years, but uh, you've now got ten years audited figures, uh, and you've got hard figures to show that your investor, if they would have uh, put money with you ten years ago, they would have been getting over nine percent per annum. Yep, and that that's come about from a
1: combination of operating returns, so four to five percent operating returns. So that's the annual income that the farm generates, and then land appreciation over time. So we know farms go up in value over time. Um, Productivity improves, new technology comes along, we get bigger tractors, we get more efficient, and those benefits get translated into higher land values over time. So if you look at that 9% number, half of it's coming out of our operating performance, our annual returns. And half of it's coming out of improvement in land values. The the land uplift. Yep,
0: that's right. And that that 9% plus is net of fees for the investor? Correct,
1: that's net of fees, but obviously before tax, because different investors have different tax structures.
0: And your typical investor, do you find your story relates or resonates... Better with locals or for offshore investors, or a bit of both?
1: Well, I, I think it's not one or the other. I think it depends very much on investors' view. So agriculture is a bit different. It's not correlated to other asset classes. Um, it provides an opportunity that is in real assets rather than in paper assets, if you like. Um, you need a long-term view. And interestingly... You know, the, the people who have, in the last 10, 15 years, shown a lot of interest in Australian agriculture are Europeans. Why is that? Well... Do you think? I, I think they're very... They take a very long-term view, and that suits agriculture. Um, why do they take a long-term view? I think they've been around for a long time, but also they've been in... You know, the last century in Europe was pretty tumultuous... And their capital was often put at substantial risk a number of times through the last century. So what they like are assets that provide that have very low sovereign risk. They're real. They provide a return. They don't have subsidies in Australia like we do in Europe and they can be pulled out so affecting performance. So so they really like the nature of the asset and putting a portion of their wealth into Australian agriculture is is seen as a really good thing to do for a lot of European investors.
0: And they're the majority of your investors? Yeah, at the
1: moment they're about two thirds of our capital is, is from the UK and Europe. I'm never sure whether the U.K's in or out, no, but anyway. Nor are they, I don't think so. <laughs> no, they're no. not, but we might take some time to yeah, know. Yeah, Come yeah.
0: See, same time next year, let's talk about that again. Yeah. So you've got this audited track record now. What are some of the learnings and, uh, of that period? Uh, but for both for yourselves and for investors,
1: there's a couple of key things. I, I think buying the right asset and buying it at the right price is fundamental to any long-term track record. Because you are, you generally own agricultural assets for long haul. You don't trade them, flip them. Generally, you just buy and you hold for ten years, twenty years, multi generational at times. So finding the right assets and understanding how to make that asset work from day one is, is one of the really important things. And, and then the second thing is when you buy it and you see opportunities to improve productivity, our, our, one of our key lessons we've learned is to get on with it and do it as quickly as possible. Because if you see opportunities to improve productivity, The IRR on that additional capital, maybe you spent 10 to buy the farm and maybe it needs another one of capital deployed. The IRR on that additional one million can be 20 or 30%. So get on with it, get stuck into it, sensibly of course, and managing risks. but, But if you see those sort of returns, make sure you... Capitalize on the opportunity and do it well from the start.
0: Would a typical situation be that an investor has, say, put in ten, fifteen million, and that, and then you've come back to them say, so "Look, if you spend another two, we can really we can supercharge this this asset for you." Does that happen very often? Yeah. Well, what we
1: like to do is to do that during the acquisition process. So we sit down and actually, as part of the business case, to to buy this farm versus the farm down the road is where are those opportunities? And if you can deploy another two into it and supercharge the performance, then we want to know that, understand that before, under, you before we actually buy, because that really is a driver of our performance and also will drive land appreciation over time. If you improve the productivity, make the farm much better, that will be reflected in its capital value. So sitting down and planning those things and getting those things right from day one is really important.
0: Using your crystal ball, what, what's the outlook for this sector yeah, in
1: your view? My crystal ball tends to get very foggy, um, but, but my fundamental view is that if you're in agriculture and you're in there for the long term, buy well, manage well, the returns we think will still be around that 10% per annum over the long term. So the fundamentals are really good. You know, we're seeing change in diets in Asia and a whole range of things, more free trade agreements between Australia and our trading partners, a whole heap of things that really do underpin what we see as a really good long-term story for Australian agriculture. Well, there's
0: a lot of talk of food provenance and food security these days. How much does that theme or that story play with your investors? Is it a big issue? Is it a driver for investors? Oh, both of those things are real.
1: Um, so food provenance is an increasing issue in Western for Western consumers understanding where it's come from. Has it been produced responsibly? Are farms better at the end of the production process than they were at the start? Are animals looked after properly? So being able to do all those things and reassure reassure consumers that those things are being addressed is fundamental. And then on the other side of the scale, you've got this sort of increasing protein, animal protein, particularly in in diets in developing countries, particularly our near neighbours in Asia. And so that's driving fundamental demand of the commodity products, be it milk, be it lamb, be it beef, whatever it might be.
0: And what about the issue of climate change? Uh, How is that impacting prices and investor outlook and investor attitudes? Um, Again, most of the investors
1: in agriculture are long-term, so they're always thinking and asking questions about climate change. So so we think it's a substantial risk, and we need to take that into account. And there's a number of things... How, How do you take it into account? Well, for example, the forecast is for potentially declining rainfall and more variable rainfall in a lot of their agricultural regions. So one of the things we do is actually buy preferentially in higher rainfall environments. So if we are going to lose a bit of rainfall, we still have a very productive agricultural business. We buy soil types that that preserve and hold soil moisture. So if it's more variable, you can accumulate soil moisture, then plant a crop when you've got enough, and go from there and i don 't want to get too technical about it but there are quite sensible low risk low cost opportunities to
0: manage that climate change risk I noticed that you some investors put all their money into one farm and some like to spread it amongst two or three farms what what are the pros and cons and what sort of advice do you give investors when they're looking at that issue of how much to invest and where to invest in or what quantum's yeah. to invest and how to divide their investment sure and it's a really important question because i think a
1: lot of people who've invested in agriculture haven't really thought about that at times um so the first thing is how much capital is available to invest and if you've only got five or seven mil or something which might sound a lot for some people but but in agricultural terms that buys your medium-sized farm you probably don't want to spread five million dollars amongst two farms because you lose in the operating efficiency so your returns will be compromised. You'll have all your eggs in one basket but it'll be an efficient basket. Alternatively if you're looking to deploy larger amounts of capital then you can divide it up and build some diversity so you might have some in dairy or some in beef or some in cropping and you might have some in uh, Tasmania and some in North Queensland and you can see the differences we see in the weather at the moment with floods in North Queensland. So you build in some diversity and some risk management in your portfolio. So larger investors, good to look at a few different sorts of opportunities. The other really important thing we talk about with investors is, do you want to operate this farm business? So do you want exposure to commodity prices, to weather? And returns will be really good this year, might be less next year, have a drought, not so good. But overall, they'll come out at 4 or 5% return on your invested capital from the operating part of the business. The other way to invest is just own the land, like you might own a warehouse, and rent it to someone else. And so you're, you'll get a re- rental income, low risk, quarterly check in the post, um, you find a good tenant, they'll look after your farm,
0: improve its value. So there's two different models to invest. And which way do you lean, or which way do most of your investors lean, the passive or the active uh, farmer, well, investor? Most of ours are active because they take a long-term view. And also that so they own the farming business they as well own the as the farming
1: land. business as well as the land. Others we have a lesser number that that are passive passive investors and we have some that say look I don't understand the sector I'm going to start off passive and if I'm happy with the way things go after three five years I might become more active So it's not an either or but it's
0: one leading it, to the other yeah
1: but but they have quite different risk profiles. Um, and and slightly different return profiles. And so it's a really important question to think about because we comfortably invest in commercial property where we own the asset, but we don't have anything to do with the business that goes on within that asset. And agriculture, we can do the same. So it's a much lower risk
0: opportunity for people. You've just, the smaller fund or the fund where the money is pooled, you've just closed that. When would you expect another one to be open? Uh, We're
1: we're planning at the moment about what we do and whether is it another sort of buy and lease opportunity, a low risk passive type opportunity, or is it a more active one. So over the next three to six months, we'll have some more clarity around exactly what that might look
0: like and what sort of investors that may suit. But meanwhile, people with bigger licks of five and ten million who want to invest you they're, they're separately managed account opportunities ongoing yeah
1: we always we're always talking to people about separate managed accounts so again it depends on what people want to do obviously if you if you're a smaller investor and want to go into a co-mingled entity you've got to have an opportunity available um, nothing right at the moment but maybe something later this year
0: david thanks very much for talking to us pleasure
1: peter